Open the scriptures to Psalm 33, then we will read that beautiful psalm. We finished our series in 1 Timothy, and I thought this psalm, which actually took hold of me on the week of vacation a couple weeks ago, began to meditate on each morning. Such a beautiful psalm, such a glorious word of comfort. I thought I would preach that this evening. Psalm 33, God's Word. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded And it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. God's glorious word. Let's ask him for his blessing. Gracious Father in heaven, what a revelation of yourself is found in the psalm. Would you grant us grace to grasp something of the wonder that we might stand in awe, something of your steadfast love that we might trust in you? Give us your help. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, we live in the same world as unbelievers. Both Christians and unbelievers live in a world that's filled with so much beauty So many marvelous things to see, so many wonders of God's kindness, but also a world that's broken, a world that's been affected by our sin, by rebellion, by the curse, a world that's filled with sorrows, heartaches, chaos. But in this broken world, there's one group of people that gets to rejoice. In this broken world, there's there's one people that, that gets to sing. And that's us. The world wades through the debris 
but the believer marches forward rejoicing. Psalm 33 is a call to rejoice, isn't it? Those opening three verses give a number of of commands. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Make melody. Sing to him. Play skillfully. It's a calling to rejoice in the Lord. But who can rejoice? Who's qualified to, to lift up praise to God in this world? Well, the psalm is very specific in that first verse. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Who are these people, the righteous and the upright? Well, it's interesting that that Psalm 33 begins where Psalm 32 ended. Psalm 32 ended, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And if you say now, according to Psalm 32, who are the righteous, who are the upright? Well, the first verse of Psalm 32 told you, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In other words, it's not hard to know who the righteous and the upright are. There are those who have been forgiven. There are those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There there are those who have been reconciled to God, who have been given new hearts, and they love him and know him. They're the ones who get to sing because Christ bore the penalty, because they're not under the curse anymore, because God is pleased with them through Christ. And so if you, if you know God through Christ, then you must sing, you must worship, you must praise. You may not conform your life to the world and say, well, you know, the world is discouraged, and the world feels like there's no meaning, and the world doesn't know how we're going to get out of this mess. You're not part of the world. You're the righteous. You're the upright. You know God. You know the Creator. You know your Redeemer. So praise him. In fact, the psalm says that we are to praise the Lord, to sing to him, verse 3, with a new song. A new song. There is to be an ever new freshness about the praise of God's people because they are to be amazed again at, at who God is and what God has done. One writer says any biblical song, any biblical song becomes fresh and new when it's sung with true devotion. Or we could say any biblical song is fresh and new when we're, when we're impressed again with who God is and what he's done and his great love for us. How can we renew our song? Well, by seeing again the reasons for praise. And so this psalm is rehearsing, isn't it? Many things that we know, and it's rehearsing them again before us and saying, have you seen? Have you remembered? Do you recall? Why is your head down? Why why do you think you're defeated? Why do you act like there's no ruler in the world? Do you remember? And so the psalm gives three reasons for, for praising God. The first one is centered around God's word. The word by which he called the world into existence. And the second one is centered around his counsel, his plan for the world, which is coming to fruition. And the third one is centered around the fact that God is looking, he's observing his world, holding it accountable and watchfully caring for his people. Now those three reasons, you could use a lot of labels to describe them, but I was taken with Derek Kidner's language in his little commentary on the Psalms, and he speaks of God's creative word, God's triumphant will, and God's discerning gaze. And I'd like to set those before you as memorable points. Number one, we praise God for his creative word. Number two, we praise God for his triumphant will. And thirdly, we praise God for his discerning gaze. Well, first of all, the word of the Lord, this mighty word that called the world into existence. 
verse 6 and following says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Calls, verse 8, all the earth to fear and tremble before God. Because, verse 9, he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The very word of our God is a, a mighty, creative word. God, by his magnificent voice, set forward a magnificent heavens. He filled the expanse with stars, and not just with stars, but planets, not just stars and planets, but galaxies of stars and planets, millions of galaxies, billions of galaxies, by the mere breath of his mouth. Sometimes we spend a long time on our projects. We live next door to a man who worked on his house for years. My house projects drag on, but the Lord spoke, and it was. That's what Genesis tells us. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the waters be gathered and dry land appear, and so it was. God is glorious, isn't he? He's a mighty God. The psalmist says, not just the heavens, but the ocean too. God gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. Just put them together. He just dealt with the waters as easily as a man pours water into a jar and contains it. God's word set a boundary. We might stand in the coastal waters and say to a wave, stop there. But unless we're authorized by God to say that, it doesn't stop. Our word is not an obstacle. It doesn't set a boundary. But God's word does. God speaks, positions his word against the waters, and they obey Now, we're often impressed with man, aren't we? We're impressed with what man does. And the psalm is saying we need to be impressed with the Lord. We think man is is pretty wonderful, right? His technology and his advances. And indeed, the Lord has given us a world to discover, a world to labor in. And God does bless the efforts of man in different ways, doesn't he? But But man will never do anything that that remotely compares to what God did, that he calls into existence a world that was not. He spoke and created out of nothing. We never create anything out of nothing. And so we have reason to rejoice every day just to wake up and say, my father made all this. He spoke this world into existence. Shouldn't we fear God? The world may pretend he doesn't exist. They may ignore him. They may put God in some little religious category. He's good for, you know, for, for a little worship service. But, but the psalm is exploding that box. God is the maker of everything. He's the glorious creator. He's the almighty God. And because it's God who made it all, all that God made was good. Because God is good and his word is good. And so if you back up to verses 4 and 5, it describes that. Verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right. All his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. This is not just, God is not just some some great force. He's not a nuclear bomb that's just powerful. He's a being. He's the triune God who is good. He's good. And every word he speaks is good and right. Every word. The fingerprints of God are everywhere on everything he's made. And they're the fingerprints of goodness and love. God's word is good. God's word is right. Suppose if we asked what is the sin I most struggle with, right? We 
would probably most often say it's speech. Why did I say that? Why do I say those kinds of things? Why do I use that kind of tone? Why didn't I say what I should have said? Why was I silent? We, we struggle with speech. But our God doesn't struggle with speech. He always says the right thing. He never says anything wrong. Our words grieve us. God's word glorifies him. God has never failed with his words. Never failed to speak when he should have spoken. He never said the wrong thing. He never revised what he said. He never grieved over what he said as if he should have said something else. God's words are dependable. They're true. They're right. You can, you can bank your life on God's word. You can build on his word. It's stable. It's not subject to revision. God's word is firm. God's word is so true you can, you can plumb your life by it. Words of men are not like that. Words of men are lies. We read in Genesis chapter 1, for instance, concerning God's creative work of making his image bearers. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created him, male and female, he created them. Learn that at VBS this week. So that's what the Bible says. God created them in his image, male and female. But you can go to a highly paid counselor who will tell you, you know, your problem is that maybe you're not male or female. Maybe you need to choose a different gender. And so whose word are you going to trust? The word of the Lord that is right or the word of men that's more vain than vanity itself? Every word of God is true and stable. Now, now we could say, well, of course, you know, I'm not prone to that gender stuff, and that's far from me. But, but we do well to ask ourselves, how many lies of the world haven't we built our lives upon? How many falsehoods of the world haven't shaped our lives or our value system or our goals or our perspective? How many lies of the world haven't caused us to worry or fear? How many lies of the world haven't taught us that our security is in our investments, our security is in our possessions, or in other people, in our family? You see, whose word is right in our minds? Whose word is right? The word of the Lord is right. It's never wrong. And who is that word? Well, John chapter 1 tells us, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The supreme communication of God is Christ, his son. He is the word. It was through Christ that the world was called into existence. And it's by this word that God has reclaimed this world. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Christ is the word by which God has visited a broken world. And it's interesting that the Psalm 33 has overtones of Exodus 15. And Exodus 15 is the, is the song of celebration when God has, has drowned Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea and brought his people through. 
In Psalm 33, verse 7, we read that God gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays them up in storehouses. In Exodus 15, verse 8, we read the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. In Exodus, as God delivered Israel and created a people for himself, Exodus 15 says the people will hear and be afraid. Fear and dread will fall on them. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord, that all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So as commentator Peter Craigie notes, the psalm seems to speak not just of, quote, the divine creation of the natural order, but the psalm also speaks of the creation of God's holy nation in the redemption from Egypt accomplished at the Reed Sea. It's not just about creation, you see, but about recreation. By the word, God spoke this world into existence, and by his word, he creates a people for himself. God has filled the world with his goodness. The earth is full of the goodness, filled with the steadfast love of the Lord. And God, through that same word, Jesus Christ, is recreating a world, a new human race, a new heavens and earth for his glory and praise. The first creation was designed for God's glory. And you who are the new creation, you are designed by the word of God for his glory. Now the church is one of those under construction projects, which means there's a lot of dust around, a lot of debris, and it doesn't look so glamorous just yet. We're waiting for the scaffolding to come down and for everything to be put perfect. And then the church will shine at the day of Christ's coming. But nonetheless, this, the church of Christ, is the product of the word, the word God spoke, and the word that makes beautiful, and the word that is good, And so this is hope for evangelism. This is hope for missions. Because by the word, God calls forth the dead from their graves and gives life. By the word, God forms and fashions and gives spiritual gifts. By the word, he gives you a new heart to love him and know him. By his word. You see, if you know what God did at the beginning, then you have hope for preaching. It's just a man talking. It's just a word. Oh, just a word? What could God ever do with just a word? You see it? It's just a word. The glorious word of the Lord. What a comfort for us when we think no one can help. No one can help. Well, God could help you with a word, couldn't he? Just speaks a word. Stand in fear of him. Stand before him in awe. Don't join the unbelieving scientists who who treat this all in sterile ways. You know, it's just things. It's just atoms. It's just product. It's just material. No, this 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 is the product of the word of the God who is right and true and good. And it's supposed to cause you to worship. God has triumphed over the dark waters of creation by his word, and he's triumphed over the darkness of our sin by his word, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first reason to praise God is his word, his true word, his good word, and his creative, powerful word. But now God spoke it into being. What does he do with it? Does he say, well, there you go. I made it for you. Let's see what you do with it. You give a child a present at Christmas, it's a... It's a set of paints. It's, it's a truck. It's, let's see what he does with it. 
No, that's not what happens. Notice, secondly, we praise God because of his triumphant will, not just his creative word, but his triumphant will. We come to verses 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Now, creation doesn't plan out its future. Birds do not make 10-year plans, but people do. And kings and presidents and congressmen and prime ministers, they make plans, and those plans often make us tremble. They seem so powerful. What's going on in the mind of the president of Russia? What's his plan? What does the ruling party in, in Washington intend to do? What plans do they have or have they already passed? The psalmist says that when it's all said and done, it's not the proud declarations of earth's rulers that run the show. No, God frustrates their plans. They may have big agendas that they loudly and proudly announce, or they may have concealed agendas that they tuck in page 899 of some legislative bill. But guess what? The Lord takes delight in frustrating them. He takes pleasure in standing in their way and making them defeat themselves and fall into their own traps. God restrains the plans of man, but do you know whose plan will never be frustrated? It is not subject to human constraint. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. It means, number one, that God has a plan. Things are not just happening. God's not making it up as he goes along. He's a plan. He's a plan for the cosmos. He's a plan for his church. He's a plan for your life. In fact, the plan that's being spoken of here is not just some secret counsel of God. I was thinking of it in those terms that I read John Calvin's commentary, and he said, the plan that we're supposed to, that's supposed to cause us to rejoice is the plan revealed to us. That God's going to bring us to glory. That God's going to work all things together for our good. That God's going to seat us with himself in a new heavens and a new earth. God has told us his intention. He has broadcast his good plan for us. And he's saying to his people, the plan of my heart that brings me pleasure to do you good, my people, will stand. It's glorious. This plan, Isaiah 40 reminds us, was made by God without the help of men. For who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counsel has taught him, with whom did he take counsel? So God has a plan, number one, but number two, it's executed to minute precision. God's plan is not vague. It's not open-ended. I mean, somebody could start out with a plan to, to build a building and then have all these add-ons. They make it up as they go. They could start with a plan to build a building but not have a completion date, have no set timetable. But God's plan is planned out to the smallest detail of how many hairs you will have on your head, and it's planned out to the last second. God's plan is planned to the last second. It's not vague. It's not, we'll see how it goes. Christ will come on the second for which God has purposed his return. 
you and I will be called out of this life at the exact moment our days have expired, written in this book. Again, just like scientists, unbelieving scientists study the world and try to do it denying God, try to look at matter and deny a maker. So historians and sociologists, they they study cultures and and history and the decisions of men and wars and so forth as as if there's no one in control of any of this. It's plain stupidity. History is, as we say, his story. God is the master of of history, isn't he? It is the unfolding of God's plan. And God is not one more actor on the stage, and there's all this give and take. And and God, you know, is seeing what you do, then he'll decide what he does. And this kind of open theism baloney. But God is sovereign. He's the king. And the plan of his heart will stand. And he rules through Jesus Christ, the man at his right hand, the one who is your brother, the one who is your savior, the one who's bound himself to you by the flesh and by the blood of the covenant, the one who has ascended to heaven to execute the perfect plan of the Father for the good and glory of the church. Well, that's bad news if you don't like Jesus. That's terrible news if if you're one of those proud ones who's going to try to execute your own plan. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, if your sins are forgiven, if you are the upright and the righteous, and you hold the promises of God, of life everlasting, this is terrific news. Because everything in your life is being being used for your greatest good. Every event, every circumstance. It's all in the hands of your glorious Savior being worked together for your good. And so the conclusion you see of the matters, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that ain't America. It's the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. It's the church. It's the elect of God. Blessed are the Lord's people. Blessed are the ones he's chosen from the foundation of the world. Blessed because your God, your Savior, his plan will stand. And your existence and your future is is not based upon some human aspirations. Your being, the days of your life, are being governed by his plan. And that's good. God proved it to us at the cross, didn't he? We have a couple great statements in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and then in chapter 4 that reveal at the cross of Jesus, though it is in so many ways the work of wicked men, it is altogether the sovereign plan of God. In Acts 4, after the apostles get released, the, the Christians raise their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's the creative Word we we just saw a moment ago. You're the creator. 
who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people's plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. All those people... Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, Jews, all gathered together to do just what you decreed from eternity to be done. Unwitting actors in your great drama. So shout for joy, the psalmist says, because you know this. You, the people of God, know this. We spend far too much time fretting and fearing, don't we? Disturbed and looking at the plans of men. Turn on the news and we begin to to tremble. What are they doing? What's their plan? What's going on? I know I do. And then when I do, there's no praise. There's only worry and frustration and angst. The psalm says enough of that. Whose plan rules? The plan of your God? Does it rule in exhaustive detail? Does it rule to the very end and can never be overthrown? Does it rule every day of your life? Does it rule the future for your children and grandchildren? Then rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. For praise from the upright is beautiful. Don't take your cues from the news. You shape your mind and your heart. You shape your singing according to what God has told you. He's loved you in Christ. and He will never fail you. And the plan of his heart, which is his plan of love for you, for believers and their children, will stand firm. We have a view from the top. We have a cosmic perspective. And we have a personal perspective. God rules all things and God rules the smallest details of my life according to his loving and gracious plan in Christ Jesus. So we praise God for his creative word and we praise God for his triumphant will. But finally, let us praise God for his discerning gaze. So God made the world. Did he just let the world then become what it would become? No, he governs it by his, his will, his triumphant will. Well, does his triumphant will just let wicked men get away with things? Does the triumphant will mean that God executes something and forgets about his people? No. The Lord is looking from heaven. Verse 13 and following. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. Our God is intimately involved in his world, isn't he? From his high heavens, he sees every deed. He sees every heart. If someone's mistreating you, God knows about it. If somebody's wronging you, God knows about it. Human judgments are short-sighted. They never take into account everything. They're often ignorant. 
God's understanding is complete. It's exhaustive. His judgments are always fair and right. There are many in the world who assume because they're, they're rich and they're powerful, no one can touch me. I'm accountable to no one. And God says in verses 13, or excuse me, verses 16 and 17, he says, well, well, nice try. But no king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Horse is a vain hope for safety. All the military might and muscle of the Bible times isn't going to carry out your plan or keep God from holding you accountable. Many think that might makes right and that the largest stick will win. One ancient apparently sarcastically said, well, they say that God is always on the side of the biggest army. Well, you know what? When the biggest army wins, it doesn't win because it's biggest. If he had read the Old Testament, he would have known that. The biggest army wins when God says it's going to win. But there's no great army or great horse that of itself wins any battle. The Lord is king. His eyes are not just on his enemies. His eyes are on his people. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Well, that's good news tonight. If, if work isn't going well or if your business is suffering and you say, you know, it's on my mind all the time. I see all these things before me when I close my eyes at night. You know what the Lord sees. The Lord knows. The Lord knows your needs. Remember in the book of, of Second Kings, when the king of Syria is making war against Israel, and everywhere he goes to, to set up camp or to ambush the Israelites, well, Elisha sends word to the king and says, don't go there because the king of Syria is there. And so finally, the king of Syria, he, he says, he says to his, to his servants, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Who keeps telling all my secrets? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Well, where did Elisha learn the secrets he speaks in his bedroom? Well, from the Lord who sees everything, knows what the enemies of the church are up to. The Lord's there. There's no secret meetings in Washington or anywhere else because the Lord's there. His eyes are there. He sees. And what the Lord wants to do is open our eyes like Elisha prayed for his servant when he was so fearful. And now the Syrians came to get to Elisha who is telling the secrets and they surround. And Elisha's servant's fearful. And Elisha prays the Lord open his eyes. And suddenly he sees the mighty army of heaven surrounding and keeping them. The Lord's eyes are on his people. You may think you're all alone like Daniel in the lion's den or Daniel's friends in the fire, but the Lord Christ is there. You may feel all alone. Paul said, all deserted me. None stood with me. Oh, but he says, the Lord stood with me. You may think you're all alone. John on the island of Patmos, exiled for the faith. But God gives him the book of Revelation, the visions. You may think you're all alone. Elijah goes on the wilderness and wants to die. 
that the Lord sees and his angel feeds him. If you've raised children, you know what watchful eyes are, especially maybe the first child. You're so nervous, always looking, don't want to bump their head on something, keeping watch. God's eyes are on his children. And that omniscience of God is to be a source of our praise. For those who cannot stand the divine scrutiny, it only brings you fear, right? But if you can stand before God because you are righteous, your sins are forgiven, you've been credited with the very obedience of Jesus in your place, as we saw this morning then you know that God is for you and not against you. And then you welcome his watchful eyes and say, yes, Lord, keep your eyes upon me. So it's a summons to praise. A praise that's full of intelligent content. You know, this, let me say in closing, is part of the marvel of the Psalms, isn't it? But they teach us that our praise ought to be filled with content. If our praise has no substance to it, then it easily fades away. But if we intelligently and thoughtfully consider the works and words and ways and character of our God, then our praise has substance. And in difficult times, we have truths that will carry us through. So renew your praise by thinking of the great word of God. It's right. It's mighty. It's called the world into existence. Renew your praise. By thinking of the triumphant will of God, what God has planned will be accomplished. There's no doubt. And renew your praise by thinking of those eyes of God. He beholds your enemies. And he watchfully cares for your life. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Let your heart rejoice. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you that you give to us the truth. And we acknowledge, O Lord, we need our praise renewed because it gets dragged down to the pit. It gets silenced by our fears and our frets. O God, set us free tonight to sing again, to be glad, to rest in you, to believe that your sovereign hands control this whole world, that your loving hands hold our times that your watchful eyes are upon us every step. Pray you'd minister your truth to us so that we could sing your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.